0: This is At Humber, 96.9 Radio Humber Daily's in-depth news and public affairs program. I'm Carter Roy. Today, a special edition of At Humber, as we take an in-depth look at Remembrance Day, which is coming up this Friday. Every year on November 11th, we honor those who have fought for our freedom. On today's show, we look at the significance of the poppy, the Flanders Field poem, and honoring women in war. All this and more today on At Humber. In news today... In observance of Remembrance Day, on Friday, November 11th, Humber College will hold its ceremony for the local community. Humber news reporter Jess Monday has more on the event.
1: Humber College is hosting its annual Remembrance Day ceremony this Friday at 10.50 a.m. in E-Concourse at North Campus there will also be a gathering at Lakeshore Campus. The event has recently been held virtually due to the pandemic and is now back live, but will be streamed online for those unable to attend in person. The ceremony will involve different people from across the institution, including the Dean of Indigenous Education, Jason Seawright, who will be talking about Indigenous Veterans Day and the important contributions made by First Nations, Inuit and Métis veterans in service to Canada. Copies have been made available across North Campus, and the college encourages the community to participate in any way they can and are comfortable doing. Remembrance Day is an important tradition for not just Humber, but Canada as a whole. While November is recognized as a time for remembrance, it is also a time to discover the stories of Canada's veterans, learn about the sacrifices they made so we could live as we do today, and how their memory lives on and continues to inspire all Canadians. At Humber, an announcement will be made to begin the moment of silence. It is recommended to please take those two minutes of silence as time to remember the over 100,000 Canadians who lost their lives in wartime and peacekeeping missions, and to reflect on the freedoms and peace in your life, and to remember those who served and sacrificed for all we have today. For Humber News, I'm Jess Monday.
0: Are you wearing a poppy today? From the beginning of November, Canadians wear the red flower out of respect and remembrance to the fallen soldiers, soldiers who have fought for our country so many years ago. But have you ever wondered what the meaning of the poppy really is? Why is wearing a poppy so important, and where do our donations go? At Humber reporter Alex Mazichko sat down with Najma Bond, the communications manager at the Royal Canadian Legion, to understand the poppy.
2: What is the significance of the poppy?
3: The poppy is truly Canada's symbol of remembrance, it represents fallen canadian veterans those who have served and sacrificed their lives so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy in canada today
2: how important are the donations for the poppy campaign to the legion
3: the donations are instrumental in terms of the work that the legion is able to do across the country to help support our veterans and their families and canadians are very generous every year they donate close to 20 million dollars across the country and those funds are used locally so anything donated locally stays local and it goes into a whole range of programs so Our volunteers across the country can help our veterans with emergency funding for food perhaps, or a place to stay. We have service officers in our nearly 1,400 branches across the country, and those are people who can help a veteran who may walk into a branch, and they don't have to be a Legion member, but they may need help with emergency funding. They may may need to be connected to a peer support program, and we can do that as well. So the funds are used for a multitude of things, and we are very thankful that people donate so that we can do this important work.
2: What are some of the new features in the campaign to donate?
3: So the new, one of the really exciting new initiatives this year is called Poppy Stories. And people can go on their smartphone to poppystories.ca, and then they can use their phone to scan a lapel poppy. And when they scan their poppy, up will come a story of a Canadian veteran. And it's very interesting because these are short anecdotes they tell you a little bit about where the person served. You get to see their name, their face. You get to connect a little more deeply with those who have served our country.
2: Anecdotally, I don't see as many people wearing poppies as I used to. Is that why there have been new ways created to donate and to keep the poppies, I guess, so to speak,
3: more relevant? We certainly do distribute many millions of poppies every year, and we do come up with new programs of remembrance so that we can ensure that people would like to participate and ask questions if they're not sure what the symbol of the poppy actually represents. We have this year 1000 electronic tap to give boxes and that allows people to use their smartphone to donate so they can tap and donate. And we also have legion.ca where people can visit and donate online. Another thing that is New and we introduced it a few years ago is the digital poppy. It's also part of the larger campaign, and the funds raised through the digital poppy go to the Legion National Foundation, Mm -hmm. which also supports uh, veterans and their families.
2: I'm not sure if many people are aware, but there are do's and don'ts on wearing poppies. What are some of the protocols to wear a poppy?
3: So, poppies are always worn on the left side of the lapel and above your heart. So, that is the place where you wear your poppy because you are showing your heartfelt thanks for the veterans who have served our country and have fallen in their service. And when the poppy campaign is over, and after Remembrance Day, people dispose of them, and we just ask that it's done with respect. This year, we have introduced a new biodegradable poppy, and that poppy will biodegrade. So that is a really exciting thing to know. And we will probably see some of the original poppies for another year or so, because we will be using some of the residual stock. But the new poppies are made out of paper and cotton velvet. And we also are introducing new biodegradable wreaths this year, and they're made of a mixture of things. So some real moss and bamboo and also some plaster. And so that's one of the new innovations this year, and it helps us to reduce our environmental footprint But yet keep the image and the iconic symbol of the bright red poppy that people are used to seeing.
2: When do people stop wearing poppies?
3: People generally will wear poppies up until the end of November 11th, and that is a very sacred and special day. And certainly if people are attending events to remember veterans, maybe it's a funeral or a ceremony of another sort during the year, they are most welcome to wear a poppy at that time. During the rest of the year, there are other ways that you can remember and the Legion actually has many items in our poppy store at poppystore.ca and there are mementos that you can purchase and wear and have throughout the year to keep that remembrance alive throughout the rest of the, the days of the year.
0: That was Alex Mazichko speaking with Najma Bond, Communications Manager at the Royal Canadian Legion. Still to come, one of Canada's most iconic poems, Flanders Fields, is celebrated. This is at Humber on 969 Radio Humber. Stay with us.
1: Online betting is booming. Booyah!
0: You could win big! But you could also lose. And that's a reality nobody's shouting about. Learn about online gambling risks and safer play at knowtherisks.ca. A message from the Responsible Gambling Council
3: definitely going to wonder who the Canadians are from here on out, that's for sure.
2: We shall fight in France, we shall fight on the seas and oceans, we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be.
0: Wear your poppy and remember the fallen, a message from 96.9 Radio Humber. At Humber continues now. I'm Carter Roy. Poetry and history come together in Flanders Fields by John McCrae. This is one of the most remarkable Canadian poems. It paints memory of a painful past and shows how war affected the lives of so many people. Humber news reporter Barbara Petrosino talks with Ken Irvine, museum curator and events programmer at Guelph Museums, where McRae was born. In Flanders Fields, the poppies
4: blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below.
2: How do you think Canadians feel about this poem being so popular all over the world, especially even after all this time?
5: I think people are really proud. That uh, a Canadian boy uh, wrote this poem. And, and it's, I, from what I experienced, John McCray is probably the most famous um, soldier from the First World War, maybe the most famous Canadian soldier. Uh, he is known worldwide. And I, I think there's a great deal of pride people have in uh, knowing that this is something that was written by uh, a, a Canadian born and raised in, in Guelph, that uh, he was in the heat of battle when he wrote the poem. So it's something that. People have taken to heart and are really proud of it. And uh, whenever there's any controversy that, uh, you know, that they, there's rumors that, you know, it was written by a British person or an American and uh, that people get really up in arms and, and really uh, take pride in it. No, this was written by a Canadian. So people are really proud of John uh, and they want to take credit for, you know, his service and, and are proud of what he did. he did.
2: What is the story behind it? Well, it was really
5: a poem written in the heat of battle. So when John was a, a surgeon uh, with the uh, First Canadian Field Artillery and he was right at the front lines. Uh, and in this battle, um, it was called the Second Battle of Ypres, which was uh, the first time that the, the Germans had used poison gas in the First World War. Um, John said it was, uh, it was 17 days of Hades, that there wasn't a minute for 17 days. There wasn't a bo- a bomb or a bullet flying overhead. Um, So he was right in the midst of this, and during this battle, uh, a friend of his, uh, a young man named Alexis Helmer, uh, was hit by an artillery shell and and killed instantly. John helped bury his friend, uh, and the following day is when John wrote his poem in Flanders Fields. So he really wrote it in the heat of battle, like he was right in the midst of battle, and he said where he was working people were getting shot at the top of a ridge and, and rolling down to his feet where he was operating um there are rumors that he, he was sitting on the back of an ambulance when he wrote it but right around where he was working there was a small cemetery and there would have been crosses there and in small in these cemeteries where the, the soil is freshly turned um poppies tend to grow in freshly turned over soil so John when he wrote the poem he would have seen, poppies growing between the crosses row on row and every small hospital had a small cemetery beside it for the, the soldiers who, who passed away so he wrote about things that were very visual to him but also very powerful to him when you know with the loss of a friend and i think it was very moving for john to express his emotions and his feelings
2: who was john mccray and what does he represents for the canadian history
5: John was kind of a renaissance man. He was, um, he was born and raised in, in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, and at 17, he went on to the University of Toronto to um, start his, his study of medicine. Uh, he became one of the, the greatest physicians in Canada. He's been inducted into the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame. So he was a phenomenal doctor, but he was also an artist. Uh, he was a poet. Uh, he was a storyteller. Uh, he was a traveler. Um, So he was a very well-rounded person and and he was um, a very desirable companion for people. uh, Anyone who had a party in Montreal, their party wasn't successful unless John McRae was there because he was uh, such a a great storyteller and and such a a vivacious character. So he was a a really interesting, very entertaining man, but also a great mind and a great physician um, and a great writer. And he had numerous poems and stories that he wrote were published um, and he was in a literary club with some of Canada's great literary people at the time. People like Stephen Leacock and, and Lucy Maud Montgomery were friends of John's. So he was a very well-connected, very, but a very, also very down-to-earth kind of person with, it, with, I think, a great sense of humor.
2: And what is the importance behind Remembrance Day's Date and how this poem helps to keep these memories alive? I think that the
5: poem ties into everything that's happening in the world. Um, like we have war in Ukraine, we have war in Africa, we want to remember the people who we've lost and we want to remember the sacrifices the people who are fighting for their freedom and their, to protect their home so we want to think about them and, and I think in Flanders Fields reminds us of that uh, and helps us think about the sacrifices that have been made to save uh, Canada's way of life and the, and the democratic way of life. And, and I think we wanna remember the, the sacrifices of everyone who served for us. So it's, it's a, a reminder, it makes us remember. And I think in Flanders Fields is, is a very powerful poem that uh, makes people think about uh, how, how uh, sacrifices have been made for them.
0: That was Barbara Patrocino talking with Ken Irvine, museum curator and events programmer at Guelph Museums. Straight ahead, we look at a local branch of the Royal Canadian Legion, and we take a dive into the the lives of women behind the scenes of the Canadian War. You're listening to At Humber on 96.9 Radio Humber. Stay with us.
5: Hi, I'm Elizabeth Manley, silver medalist at the Calgary Olympics. Back then, I couldn't imagine the toll Alzheimer's disease would have on my family. If we don't act now, more than a million Canadians will be affected within a generation, including people like you and me. We can stop this disease. Researchers are closer than ever, but it won't happen without your support. Please put your mind to it. Help fund the critical research of the Alzheimer's Society.
3: Visit www.alzheimer.ca or your local Alzheimer's Society to make a donation. Campus Dental not only welcomes students and staff of Humber College, but any members of the community. We operate as an independent dental hygiene clinic with a full range of services, such as teeth cleaning to polishing and whitening without losing the quality of care. Our level of care, and less out of pocket expense for you, is important to us. We provide our patients with preventive services to get the best results in their dental hygiene. Learn more at loveyourteeth.com
0: at hamburg continues just minutes from now the latest news sports and weather but first a local branch of the royal royal rather canadian region is remembering november 11th a little differently this year branch 286 of the legion here in etobicoke is shining a light on the lesser-known contributors to canadian history opening this friday the Legion Experience Museum fo- focuses on the contributions of women, minority groups, and the LGBTQ plus community. At Humber reporter Joshua Drake got a chance to speak with Legion Experience Museum curator Francesco Bori to learn more about the humble journey that brought this museum into existence.
2: Tell me about its main mission.
6: Its goal is you know, to tell you know, more of an unheard side of history. So the main mission is to uh, make sure that uh, everyone uh, who contributed or everyone who had relatives that contributed to any of the conflicts that, uh, that are most renowned um, gets you know, the exposure and the acknowledgement and the respect that they need. Um, a lot of museums, there are a lot of war museums, there are a lot of museums that deal with military history, um, and most of them, uh, respectfully speaking, have a lot of things in common. And I think what we are trying to do is um, we have a slightly smaller space than the average museum, but space limitation should not be a general limitation. So where we see um, certainly some things missing, some stories that are maybe un- untold or uh, unknown in other museums, that is where I think um, our niche is. And luckily we found several um, stories and subjects that we can actually tackle that
2: way. Can you just name me a few of the unique uh, pieces you have here?
6: Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so um, I think uh, some of the minorities or the less acknowledged um, peoples goes from indigenous peoples, um, uh, the black people and their contributions to uh, all conflict history. Um, we have uh, the Sikh movement, uh, the Punjabi Sikhs. Um, both, both conflicts, World War I and World War II, uh, increasingly more in World War II, uh, Sikh soldiers contributed hugely. Um, We obviously have uh, two-spirit LGBTQ+, uh, people, um, again, um, heavily stigmatized, but increasingly less uh, as times became more recent. Um, And women. Women are one of the forefront um, stories that we tell. We have a whole um, display cabinet section dedicated to them. Uh, Women contributed hugely, and that is a total understatement, uh, in both conflicts, but especially in World War II,
2: Tell me about uh, how this museum actually came together. You said that you had inherited some pieces. What was the um, plan that
6: really kind of cemented that this is what we're going to do? I used to be a full-time filmmaker. And um, in the last kind of three, four years, I transitioned to the museum and uh, culture sector. And while I was helping out some nonprofits, uh, a, a dear friend, um, she asked me, you know, you're interested in museums. Well, I know of this uh, legion. Um, they keep on mentioning museum. Are you interested in that? I said, absolutely. So I went to... Uh, I got the number of, um, of Ron, who's the president here at Branch 26, and uh, after one conversation, he said, come in, come and meet me. So I went in, and at that point, um, you know, I, I asked Ron directly, you know, what can I do to get your trust to make this into a museum? Well, he just said, that, you know, send me a proposal in writing. Uh, I did that immediately, and I had a few ideas, and he got back to me. and he said, oh, oh, that's great, but just please tell me, you know, point blank, can you make this into a museum? I said, I'm pretty sure I can. Uh, he gave me the key, and that was uh, July 2021. What are some challenges you experienced while setting this museum up? Um, 2013, there was a tragic flood uh, that occurred in the room. Um, ironically, most of the collections that we have have already been through you know, heavy combat and, and, and conflicts of various kinds. Uh, so there's not much that you can do to really damage them further. And I have to say that most of them are in really good condition, raised above the ground level. But nearly everything—paperwork and provenance and donor information—that got destroyed in the flood. And there are still some traces in the museum, very minor traces, luckily, of um, of, the, of the moisture, of the damp that, that, that the flood, um, uh, you know, the flood damage did. And if you could give one message to the community coming up to November 11th to you know maybe show off your display, what would you say to them? I would say that uh, although the museum has been registered since 93, this is the very first time that this. Space opens up as an official museum, the Legion Experience Museum, ever. Um, and uh, without a budget, um, you know, I, I, I have been, uh, you know, paying out of pocket uh, for every little piece of, uh, um, you know, technology or whatever, um, scraping through. Uh, I, you know, we've been putting our efforts, our, our, you know, our ideas, uh, our, our camaraderie, uh, our friendship into this uh, group effort. Um, and and we would like anyone out there, regardless of whether you're a museum professional uh, or a museum student or just someone who's interested in history, to appreciate that with very very limited means, and a legion building that has been through uh, dark times uh, prior to us coming in. Um, what we've done in within 17 months, really, of, of of me starting and me stepping into the place for the first time, um, we've done this as a as a labour of love um, and and we've enjoyed every minute of it.
0: That was Joshua Drake's conversation with Francesco Bori, curator of the Legion Experience Museum. Along with celebrating the museum, we also honour women in war too. The poppies slide on over our hearts and donations are donated into boxes as veterans and cadets take up their positions at most public areas. Of course, we remember the men that were on the front lines, but what about the women? In what ways did they assist with the war? At Humber reporter Antonio Clark talked with Professor and Canadian History Association Representative Serge Durflinger about the impact these women had.
4: To your knowledge, what women do you feel were of note in the war for what they were able to accomplish? So when the First World War breaks out, um, women don't have the vote. Uh, They are still essentially um, working in occupational ghettos that are... Um, set aside for them, like textiles, for example, or domestic service. Um, in Canada, women at that time were still more or less wards of their husbands. They didn't have a great deal of um, of say either in society or in or in uh, the family in a formal way. But even still, you know, the women were working in areas that were quite common to them and understood by them. So the textile industry is a very common one. So instead of making dresses or suits, they're making uniforms, you know, and and stuff like that. Um, However, um, women also contribute enormously on the home front, for example, by taking care of their families while men are away and assuming a greater sense of responsibility and burden. Um, And it is, uh, that itself is a monster effort. Do you feel that You know, women have been, when it comes to their PTSD, do you feel like that's been addressed enough or do you feel like there's still more that could be done about that in terms of the conversation that could be had around it? Yeah, Um, well, certainly in in both World Wars, when women were overseas serving as nurses in particular, but also in the Second World War, serving in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force in the various women's divisions, um, they too were privy to some very difficult moments and difficult scenes um and I think that it is overlooked uh we have such a tendency to look at military service from the perspective of the combat arms you know the infantry the artillery and so on uh which is very justified but perhaps it overwhelms the whole story which has to include women as well um there's a study that was done at my university the University of Ottawa um it was a PhD that looked at nurses um post-1918 careers. And the scholar, uh, Milani Morin, she was uh, very, very diligent in tracing their post-war careers and came to the conclusion that a very large number quit nursing. They couldn't take it anymore. They come back from the war and they can't be doing this anymore for, um, for the rest of their careers. Was there ever a point in time where women
0: were actually on the
4: front line? In both world wars, women were not subjected to um, combat. 50,000 women um, volunteered and served either in the Canadian Women's Army Corps or the Royal Canadian Air Force Women's Division. Or the Women's Royal Canadian Naval Service, you know, the, and many of them served overseas, um, especially in Britain, but elsewhere too. And um, in all cases, um, they were subjected to enemy action. Now that's not the same as saying they're armed and willing to engage the enemy. That's not, that's not the case. They were in support roles, but some of them very, very important. Communications, for example. Um, intelligence tracking. Some of them were in very sensitive and very important roles. Others maintained the whole occupational ghetto that was understood by women at the time. So they entered the army in the Second World War, and uh, frequently they are their cooks, their drivers, their secretaries. Um, in many cases, they just mimicked their civilian occupation, but in uniform. But in both World Wars, um, nurses and or members uh, in the Second World War of the Royal Canadian um, uh, uh, rather the Women's Royal Canadian Naval Service, they're subjected to submarine attack. Um, in the First World War, uh, hospitals at which nurses worked were bombed by the Germans, killing Canadian nurses. In the Second World War, a German submarine torpedoed a ferry between Nova Scotia and Newfoundland and Canadian nurses were killed uh, who happened to be aboard that ferry. And so Canadian women were still in the line of fire and some of them became casualties in both world wars. Wow.
0: That was at Humber radio reporter Antonio Clark talking with University of Ottawa history professor Serge Durfinger about the impact of women in war. And don't forget the moment of silence on Friday at the 11th hour on the 11th minute. And that's it for At Humber. Our lineup producer and studio director is Antonio Clark. Today's contributors to At Humber were Just Monday, Alex Mazichko, Barbara Petrosino, Joshua Drakes, and Antonio Clark. Our technical producer is Kotar Lenisi. I'm Carter Roy. At Humber is produced by students of the Journalism and Radio Broadcasting Program on 96.9 Radio Humber.